morning. Can you hear me? Got me? All right. Not too loud. Not too loud. You guys ready? Preacher going to preach this morning. And I want to thank the elders in this congregation for uh, the sabbatical time that I was able to have. It was refreshing in a lot of ways in rest, in study, in practice of spiritual disciplines. Uh, a different kind of time for me to experience the truth of the words, be still and know that I am God. And uh, me stepping out of the pulpit for a little bit this summer has been a time for us to hear other gifted voices. And we are a church that's blessed with a lot of good preachers, a lot of good teachers. There are many wonderful gifts among the men and the women and the children of this congregation. Some of these gifts need to be practiced in order to grow. Uh, some of these gifts have yet to be discovered. And uh, maybe some of you were reminded, uh, this church does not need me, or any preacher for that matter, to be happy and healthy and thriving. Preachers, they come and go. Uh, church secretaries seem to outlast preachers. But it is the Lord who we need. It's the Lord God who we need, above all. So I view the time the Lord gives us together with me as your preacher and you as my church as a gift of his grace. It's grace that we get to be together for the time that we get to be together. You choose me and I choose you in freedom and in love. And uh, so you know I have not been using my time to interview or go job hunting. I'm not chomping at the bit to move back to Tennessee, even though I have two married daughters there now. See, it's been four years now that we've been together. Four years. So I'm just getting to the point where some of you are starting to not call me the new guy. Sometimes we've laughed together. With some of you, I've cried. Some from this body I have buried. And some from this body I've baptized. And I believe we're just getting to a point where the love and trust that we have established, it can get us to a point now that we can do some really interesting work together. And that's my hope and prayer uh, but frankly, I think we have a lot of work to do. And I'm not discouraged by all we have to do. I'm actually excited about it. Excited about the possibilities before us. We have so many wonderful gifts and talents and so many wonderful things we're doing as a church. And I want to take that and honor that and preserve that and do everything I can to speak life into that, to speak words of the Lord that help us turn our hearts over to Him without reservation. But we do have work to do. Work to do. In fact, the theme that I'm going to be building on, your place as a Christian in the gathering darkness. What's your role as this world turns darker? As this world turns against faith in Christ in some ways? What's your role in that? 
the Apostle Paul, he gives us this admonishment. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. How many of you ever had the thought, wow, the days are evil? How many of you ever looked at people and situations, listened to the news, and had a thought, this world, it's circling the drain? How many of you ever looked at situations of political maneuvering, widespread moral decline, power grabbing, war mongering, the enshrinement and glorification of evil and had the thought, Lord Jesus, please just come save us. We can't fix this. Please come. So on a personal level, I would say, just my observations, I'm just shy, a little bit this much under 50, but I would say I've seen some changes over the course of those uh, 48 years that I have. The world that we live in now, it feels darker to me. I'm speaking to my experience, maybe your experience is different, but I know some of you have articulated this as well. It feels different. When I was a kid, I would tear around the neighborhood on my little BMX bike and I would hike in the woods, I would build forts, I would be gone away from the house for hours and hours and hours and my parents had no clue where I was. And what's more, it didn't seem to bother them that they didn't know where I was. Where's Calvin? I don't know, he'll come back when he gets hungry. Now parents, they track their children's movement on these things. Why has she stopped at that gas station? That's not her normal gas station. She must have been carjacked by terrorists. Thinking of Denise when I said that. I think she tracks her kids all the time. And that's maybe a little bit humorous, but it does point to something, I think. How did we go from, he'll come back to he get, when he gets hungry, to carjacked by terrorists in a single generation? Figuratively. That the world just feels different to us. And so, some of what you have given me, a gift of this time, I've spent, you know, kind of meditating on these things, thinking about these things. And these are just my reflections, real briefly, on some of the reasons I think things feel differently now than they had before. Why does it feel like in this world, at least here in Eugene, my experience of it, why does it feel like storm clouds are gathering on the horizon? Well, I think there's a lot of things that feed this. Our news media, it's a whole industry based on if it bleeds, it leads. You know, just the negative 
sensational stories that we read every day. That just we, There's a few happy things in there. Thank the Lord for that. But it just feels dark and heavy in its tone. Uh, voices telling you what to be angry about, what to think, what to worry about. You need to know. Sometimes our desire to be in the know, it can be an idol. Social media, the way that causes anxiety, it invites things like constant comparing. I want to portray an image of life that everyone will like and envy to get those likes. People say stuff on social media that they wouldn't dream of saying to someone face to face. I'm not saying that we should shun all technology. I'm saying as a Christian, we have to be thoughtful about how we use these things and how we consume these things. And we have to acknowledge that a lot of times technology makes our lives better. But I don't think it's neutral. If you are unwise and not careful with the ways that you use technology, it can cause great harm and a lot of evil can come from those things. Culture in general in this day, it feels a lot more polarized than it used to. There's almost like it seems, it feels like this herd mentality to demonize those who are different than you, that think differently than you, uh, for your cultural group. And you, you decide ever, it gets ever smaller and smaller piece of the pie. Who are my people? Who's my tribe? And we speak against those who are not in our tribe. So that there's not just dialogue going back and forth. If someone doesn't agree with what I say, they're canceled. You're out. We're done. You cannot disagree and love. It's just crazy. It's crazy. Uh, things that historically have clearly been identified as immoral and evil are now glorified. Political dialogue characterized by mudslinging, brinkmanship, cronyism. There doesn't seem to be meaningful dialogue with people that see things different than you. There is no common ground. There may be common ground, but no one can even admit that there is some common ground. Seems to be the feel that I've noticed in political dialogue. Advertising. How many advertisements are you bombarded with every day? Things that come before your eyes. Telling you what you need to be happy. Telling you what you need to be fulfilled. Telling you what you need to be winning. It's an industry based on creating desire and dissatisfaction with things the way they are in your life right now. How could you possibly be happy without this? Just the way we consume, this is kind of a, the darker side maybe of our capitalistic society. Life value and purpose come down to, comes down to what you produce and what you consume. And you better hustle to get your fair share or you're going to get left behind. You're just a cog in the machine. And like that cog in that machine, when your value is based on what you're producing, what value do the really young and the really old have? They're the most expendable in a society where your value is based on consumption. 
entertainment, distraction? Why in the world would the devil care whether or not you come to church when he can just give you a new video game or Netflix or ESPN or whatever? And so a lot of deep, thoughtful, meaningful things, especially time with the Lord, it seems squeezed. And even when we do have those times, we're used to the movement of things. And our thoughts move like that too. That's why my sermons are too long. It's not me, it's you. (laughs) confidence in our fellow man. We can't assume the moral goodness of people that we meet. We can't assume people are basically honest or good or even safe. Sometimes we can't even assume that in the Lord's church. That's the way it feels sometimes. So these are just, this is not an exhaustive list. And again, these are just my reflections. You agree with me, disagree with me, that's fine. No problem. I'm trying to paint broad strokes, though. Broad strokes. Um, and and you, you have your own history. You have your own experiences that they speak to that. And these are just kind of where I'm at. But I think this is broad strokes to speak to this pervasive sense that many of us have that things in this world are just not safe. Listen to these words that Paul gives about the last days, the last times. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying its power. It gives me chills, that list. And I look at that and I think about that and I think I've seen those things. I think I've seen every one of these things. Sometimes I've seen them in the church. Most disturbing, I see some of them in my own heart and my own mistakes that I've made. I listen to that and I think, or we could be tempted to just kind of be like, well, too bad for us, I guess. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, you don't have that option. You don't have that option. So 
So are we actually living in the last days? Or maybe are we living in some kind of cycle of societal decline that will lead to a future revival again? I don't know. And here's the thing, no one does know. If they claim to know, they're a liar. No one knows when it's all going to end except God the Father. But the Bible does tell us some things that as churches we're going to have to face, some hard things. It's going to be like for the Lord's people. Even within what's supposed to be the safety of the fellowship of this body, we're told that many will turn away from the faith. We're told that because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, just fade away. And then like Luke's question that he raises, when the Son of Man comes, recording Jesus' words, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith? I believe the answer to that question is yes. But I believe that that also implies there are going to be times that things get so bad in this world that you'll be tempted to think, is there anyone that has faith anymore? Who is really believing it and doing it for real? Or are they all just faking it? And here's the thing, Christian. It is not your job to figure out how it's all going to end. And further, it is not your job to sit back with arms crossed and offer your commentary on how bad everything is and how messed up this world is and... Mm-mm-mm. Your job, Christian, is to figure out how to make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. How are you going to make the most of every opportunity you're given? So I've kind of put these questions together, and these were kind of... Uh, I, I, I used them as a thought exercise to kind of help me look at the condition of my own heart. And I'm hoping that they help you in some way with this as well. So I'd really like you to consider these questions. How bad would things have to get before you take your relationship with the Lord to a whole new level? I get maybe some of you are at a pretty high level and things are going pretty good. Some of you maybe at a different place. I'm talking about your next step. Or in colloquial terms, how broken and jacked up does this world need to get, possibly your church, your personal life, before you stop messing around and seek the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength? On the other end of that spectrum, He's not just the God of the rod. He's the God of the staff as well. On the other end of the spectrum, how good would things have to become for you to seek the Lord with renewed vigor, 
to realize, you know what? Look at all of these things. Look at all of these blessings. Thinking about that, being thankful for that, how much goodness would have to happen in your life before you would seek the giver above the gifts. What would it take to break you out of business as usual in your relationship with the Lord? He's there, I'm here. He's got this, I'm his. What would have to change in your heart to move your interactions and your involvement with this church to the next level? And again, a lot of you are doing a lot of amazing work here. What would it take to move you from indifference to repentance and action? To just, and I'm talking about a heart that just is ready. Okay, Lord, I want to go for it. What kind of circumstance? Can you imagine the circumstances that would lead you to this place? Some of you are in those circumstances right now. And this is the question that really is behind these questions, I think. Can we creatively think about what our next step is with the Lord? And then imaginatively think, what is my life going to look like when the Holy Spirit is fully having his way in my life, in my heart. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, the more that the Spirit has his way, okay, this is, this is, this is just my weird thinking. I'll give you this. This is free. If you were told you have 72 hours to live, 72 hours to live, what would you do with that time? What would you do with the last 72 hours of your life if you knew this is going to end at this point? I've got this much time. I believe the more in step you are with the Spirit of God, the more you are intimate with the Lord, the less things you're going to have to worry about changing. I might only have 72 hours left, but I don't want to change anything. It's just one more day of togetherness with the Lord. I've moved past my baggage. I've moved past my regrets. I've moved past my shame. I moved past all of my should'ves and could'ves and would'ves. And the Lord is just looming large before me. And it's, it's like Paul got to that point where he's like, for me to die is gain. To live is Christ. It's better for you if I stay alive for a while. Can you imagine that level of transformation in your own life? It's something worth thinking about. So the, the temptation that we face, of course, is to recognize our need, but put off changing the things that we know we need to change. 
How many of you know you have things you need to change in your life? Okay, Norm's brave enough to raise his hands. Jason. Okay, we got a few. But all of us are raising our hands inside, right? Figuratively. Figuratively in your, we're so reserved in this congregation, but I know inside somewhere there's, yeah, preach it, Calvin. Amen. I got to change some things. Maybe not. You see, the best time, you see, we think about the things that I need to change in my life. The best time for the alcoholic to quit or for a person who wants to quit smoking, the best time for them to quit is sometime next week. Just far enough away that I don't need to be bothered by it or mess with it right now. Just kick it down the road a little bit further. How many of you recognize this cartoon character? How about some of you younger people? You recognize who that is? Uh Huh? It's from Popeye. Wimpy Wellington. I will gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. And so he's always putting off and always trying to work an angle, take advantage of the situation. Sometimes we procrastinate with changing things that we know we need to change in our lives. And what's most absurd is how we procrastinate changing things that the Lord, has, the Lord our God would have us change. Lord, I will gladly pay you Tuesday for some of the blood of your son today. That's disturbing to even say that from my mouth. And no, none of us would say those words, and yet by our actions, oh, he'll give me grace. And we presume against that grace again and again and again. And some of us, in some ways, we think, well, we'll just, we'll just figure this out. And what, just so you know, God doesn't bargain that way. God expects things of you. He's not interested in compromise. He's interested in takeover. He doesn't want half your heart. He wants your entire heart. All right. I hear that and I think, okay, this is heavy. Yeah, I got some stuff I know I need to change. I know I need to stop putting this thing off, that thing, whatever it is, if you have your list. But all the mountain of the things that I know I should do and all the mountain of the things I know I need to change and whatnot, sometimes that pile looks kind of big. And doesn't it feel exhausting? Doesn't it sometimes just feel exhausting? I know I should be doing this. I know I should not be doing that. 
And for some of us, our religious experiences, our church culture, has kind of felt like, in some ways, um, a big, giant list of shoulds and should nots. All the things that I should be doing and all the things that I shouldn't be doing. And it's the preacher's job to rub my nose in it a little bit and help me wake up and maybe then I can get my life act together and not my job, not my job. So this was my, this was the quote that made me laugh out loud this summer. My favorite quote, I'm sick and tired of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Can any of you appreciate that? We've been through years of, if it doesn't kill you, it'll make you stronger. Coming out of COVID, coming to like the darkness that we're in, just this heaviness of this environment. Can't I just get a break from this? There is a way. There is a way to have a break from this. In fact, if your church experience is just a giant list of shoulds and should nots, you're doing it all wrong. The reason why the changes that I need to make, the changes you need to make, the commitments that you and I need to make, the reason why it feels exhausting and heavy is because you were never meant to do it alone. You were never meant to do it alone. It's not in your engineering specifications to do it independently and all alone. If I take my lawnmower and I flip it upside down and I try to use it as a helicopter, don't blame the maker if things don't go like they never claim that that would work. Don't do that, by the way. You don't have the power you need to make the changes you need to to make you, you don't have the strength and the energy to do all the things that you need to do you don't have the strength to stand against the tides of darkness that are already just looming on the horizon all around us you can't do it alone but brothers and sisters I think if there's something that the enemy employs his energies at more than anything else is making you feel like you're in it alone and that you can't rely on others and you can't rely on God. But the reality for us is that we are not alone. You are not alone. We may be living in days of evil. We may feel exhausted by the monumental task before us. We may be tempted to think, I can't even get my own act together. How could I possibly have helped, be of help to someone else? And it may very well be that the storm clouds are gathering on the horizon. 
But we are not the only disciples of Jesus who've had to face difficult things. In fact, sometimes some things have probably been too easy for us. So to end our time this morning, we're going to look at an Old Testament prophet, the prophet Joel. Joel, in his day, could see storm clouds gathering on the horizon. Things were turning dark in Joel's day. Joel lived in a time where he could see trouble brewing. We don't know a lot about Joel, but it appears that he was a temple priest and that there was a particular year that when he was serving in the temple that uh, there was kind of a a national calamity with a locust plague that came, created a food crisis with these locusts. And Joel takes the literal event of that locust plague and uses it as a symbol to illustrate divine judgment that's coming. This judgment was an apocalyptic event that was coming on the horizon that the prophets referred to as the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is coming. And so Joel, he pleads with people to repent while there's still time. Repent and Turn away while you still may. Wake up. Do things different. Stop procrastinating. And then to encourage the people, he gives this amazing prophecy. As one who is looking from afar, and he imagines a day where God comes and does it all together with them. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. When he spoke those words, he was speaking of future hope. A future hope, a dream that someday... This is not our future hope. In Jesus Christ, this is our current reality. His Spirit is alive and well and is the power that we need to face the challenges and the dark days ahead of us that we're in and are all around us. The alternative to giving in to despair in our broken world, 
the alternative to being exhausted by all the shoulds and all the should nots. The alternative to giving up and giving in. The alternative is to walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Holy Spirit into the easy yoke of Jesus Christ. Walk by the Holy Spirit even now in this life into the power and the resources of the kingdom of God. That's our opportunity. That's our opportunity. Where is your place when the storm clouds in this world are gathering? It's to be together with the Lord so close that you will be a light shining in dark places. See, I really preached this sermon today because of the, pre the sermon I want to preach this next week. So come back. We had to wade through some of this dark stuff. Dad, you can come on up. We're going to talk next week about what is it like life in the Spirit? Uh, what does it mean to have the gift of the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to have sons and daughters who prophesy? What does it mean to have young men who see visions? What does it mean to have old men that dream dreams? We're going to wade in that a little bit. And we, we don't have to be scared about that. The Lord will direct us in all of that. There's such wonderful things to consider because we were not meant to do it alone. And as dark as this world may get, you and I have a tremendous opportunity. Don't give up and don't give in. So that's our invitation. Of course, our invitation is that if you want to put on the Lord in baptism, uh, we will baptize you into Christ to be his disciples and dis dis begin this journey of discipleship with the Lord. If you have needs for the prayers of this church, there's some situation we can uh, pray about with you. If there's things that you want to share, I'll be up here. You can uh, come and uh, talk to me about that. And I also want to invite you, just so you know, oh yeah, Calvin and Alicia, Calvin is back. Just to celebrate that, I'm inviting you to my home this Friday night, and I'm going to make you homemade ice cream. So it's, uh, I think it's in the bulletin. Our address should be there, 6 to 8 p.m., and uh, I'm going to give you some good homemade ice cream. If uh, some of you who are lactose intolerant and uh, have trouble that way or with gluten or whatever it is, I think Cindy's going to help me make a dairy-free option. So come, and just we'll have fellowship. We'll open up the house, the back door, everything. We're just going to enjoy time together. And uh, I will make some more conventional flavors, and I will make some weirder ones as well. Well, just one weird one. Uh, Stilton cheese, balsamic vinegar, a couple other things. So. But there will be like peach and strawberry and like chocolate toppings for a really good, I got a really good vanilla recipe. 
So come and join us for that fellowship as well. We're just going to open our home up and enjoy each other. All right. Brothers and sisters, we have work to do together. We are not alone. Let's uh, honor the Lord together in our thoughts and our lives and what we're all about as we uh, stand and sing our invitation song together. <laughs>